Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Welcome back. Today we will cover Alma chapter 17 where the sons of Mosiah begin their missions and we'll also talk about the incident that makes Ammon famous to Book of Mormon readers. We first met King Mosiah's sons in Alma chapter 27 when they were going about with Alma attempting to destroy the church of God. But then an angel appeared to them, the sons of Mosiah repented, decided they wanted to be missionaries to the Lamanites, and left on a journey. We'll be talking about them today. Our last six videos have focused on Alma. After the angel appeared, he stayed behind. The Nephite people elected him as their first chief judge, and his father ordained him as high priest. In the latest video, Alma returned home to Zarahemla after being imprisoned in Ammonihah. And today's video begins where that one left off, with Alma resuming his ministry and running into the sons of Mosiah. But first we need to answer the trivia question from last time. From which person in Lehi's group did King Lamoni descend? Later in this chapter, we'll meet King Lamoni. He's one of the Lamanite kings. And if you'll pardon a small spoiler, here's Alma 17.21. And thus Ammon was carried before the king who was over the land of Ishmael. And his name was Lamoni, and he was a descendant of Ishmael. So Lamoni was a descendant of Ishmael, and he lived in the land of Ishmael. And this makes me wonder, I mean, we know that Nephi and several family members separated themselves from Laman and Lemuel, but this makes me wonder if maybe the sons of Ishmael had a similar falling out with Laman, or if the descendants just simply chose to live separate from each other. There's no mention of any sort of a falling out other than us now learning that there was a land of Ishmael where the king was a descendant of Ishmael. Details like this remind me of how little we know about the first few hundred years of Nephite history. Now we return to Alma 17, starting with verse 1. And it came to pass that as Alma was journeying from the land of Gideon southward, away to the land of Manti, behold, to his astonishment, he met the sons of Mosiah journeying toward the land of Zarahemla. Alma was traveling south to preach to some additional Nephite cities, when he bumped into the sons of Mosiah, traveling north to Zarahemla. Why were they traveling north? We'll find out in Alma chapter 27. It had been more than 10 years since Mosiah's sons left on their mission to the Lamanites, and Alma had heard nothing about them since. So imagine his surprise and his joy when one day, while going about his business, he accidentally crossed paths with them. Not only did he rejoice to find them still alive, after being among the Lamanites. But as he says in verse 2, what added more to his joy was that they were still his brethren in the Lord. Yea, and they had waxed strong in the knowledge of truth. For they were men of a sound understanding, and they had searched the scriptures diligently that they might know the word of God. 
So Alma interrupted his southward journey, and he escorted Mosiah's sons back to Zarahemla. They told him about their mission and what an adventure it had been. Alma wrote it down, and we have it in Alma, chapter 17 through 27. Alma's friends had been royalty, the sons of King Mosiah. But after being visited by an angel, they feared for the souls of sinners everywhere. From Mosiah 28.3, they could not bear that any human soul should perish. Yea, even the very thoughts that any soul should endure endless torment did cause them to quake and tremble. These fears for the salvation of others extended to the Lamanites who had never heard the gospel message and who were living in iniquity. Concern for the Lamanites, as well as guilt for their past misdeeds, caused them much anguish of soul. They begged their father, King Mosiah, for the opportunity to preach the gospel to the Lamanites, but he objected. No parent ever wants to see their children in danger, but Mosiah had an additional concern. One of his sons was going to need to replace him on the throne, and Mosiah was going to die within the next year or so, and it seems that he knew this. We discussed that in Mosiah 28 and 29, if you want to go back and, and check that out. Mosiah prayed to the Lord for guidance on how to handle the situation. Here's what we have from Mosiah 28:7, And the Lord said unto Mosiah, Let them go up, for many shall believe on their words, and they shall have eternal life. And I will deliver thy sons out of the hands of the Lamanites. Mosiah gave them permission to teach the Lamanites. And then he set about restructuring the government so that it wouldn't need a king any longer. And so with Mosiah's permission, his sons, named Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni, departed on their journey. They began their journey together as a group, accompanied by others whom they had selected. It was several weeks' travel from Zarahemla down to the land of the Lamanites. So they had time to reconsider. Was this mission really a good idea? As they journeyed, they fasted and prayed, asking for the Lord's Spirit to join them and for the Lamanites to be willing to listen. Verse 10, And it came to pass that the Lord did visit them with His Spirit and said unto them, Be comforted. And they were comforted. And the Lord said unto them also, Go forth among the Lamanites thy brethren and establish my word. Yet ye shall be patient in longsuffering and afflictions that ye may show forth good examples unto them and me. And I will make an instrument of thee in my hands unto the salvation of many souls. When they finally reached the land of the Lamanites, they had a final gathering. Ammon, who was, quote, the chief among them, did administer unto them. Then they separated, each taking a different way, hoping and trusting that they would see each other again. We don't know much about their personalities or mannerisms, and I, I wish we knew more. Was this a, a tearful separation, or did, did one of them you know, give a yell and run crashing through the brush into the wilderness, giving everybody one last laugh? We don't know. But as they separated, though, the reality and magnitude of their task set in. And assuredly, it was great, verse 14 tells us, for they had undertaken to preach the word of God to a wild and a hardened and a ferocious people, a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites and robbing and plundering them. And their hearts were set upon riches or upon gold and silver and precious stones. 
Yet they sought to obtain these things by murdering and plundering, that they might not labor for them with their own hands. And then Ammon becomes the protagonist of the story for the next few chapters. He had been the group's leader prior to their separation, and he appears to have been the oldest. Alma never explains why Aaron, one of Ammon's brothers, was the heir to the throne, so we're kind of left to wonder. Ammon's ministry began in the land of Ishmael. No sooner had he started than he was captured by the Lamanites and carried before their king for questioning. And I've, I've wondered about how this conversation could have gone, so bear with me. I picture Lamoni, king of the Lamanites, peacefully sitting in his throne one afternoon when he hears a commotion outside. And a guard runs in and says, Your Highness, we've captured a Nephite. A Nephite in our lands? Yes, your guards caught him out in the valley. Really? How many Nephites were there? How many did you kill? Make sure the rest of them don't get away. Uh, no need, your Highness, he was alone. Well, that's strange. Is he a spy or something? How did you find him? Well, it wasn't hard. The guards said they heard someone whistling, and, and then this Nephite walked right up to the guard station and waved. Was he drunk? I mean, is he, is he mentally okay? Well, he seems to know what he's doing. Well, well, I'd like to know what he's doing, too. Bring him in, and maybe I can get him to talk. Well, I don't think that's going to be a challenge. He hasn't stopped chattering since the guards tied him up, telling jokes, asking about the guards' families. He even corrected a couple of their knots while they were tying him up. And so they bring Ammon in, and, and they stand him up. Lamoni looks at him. He's friendly, he's sober, he's healthy, he's not in disguise, he's not a spy, and he seems eager to meet people. So the king asked him, Are you planning to live here? And Ammon said unto him, Yea, I desire to dwell among this people for a time, yea, and perhaps until the day I die. The king was very pleased and said that Ammon should marry one of his daughters. Ammon declined and said that he'd prefer to be the king's servant. So King Lamoni made Ammon a servant. Specifically, one of the servants who watched over his sheep. And there's a reason that he needed more servants watching over his sheep. The reason was there was a band of Lamanites who would steal the king's sheep, and when they did, the king would kill the servants. So Ammon's new assignment was probably more dangerous than he realized. Everything went well at first. Then on day three, they took the king's flocks to the local watering hole. This hole was apparently where everyone took their flocks. And there were already some other Lamanites there with their flocks when Ammon's group arrived. And these men, verse 27 tells us, stood and scattered the flocks of Ammon and the servants of the king, and they scattered them insomuch that they fled many ways. Now the servants of the king began to murmur, saying, Now the king will slay us, as he has our brethren, because their flocks were scattered by the wickedness of these men. And they began to weep exceedingly, saying, Behold, our flocks are already scattered. But Ammon wasn't afraid. Verse 29 makes it sound as though he thought of himself as invincible. The servants, it says, wept because of the fear of being slain. Now when Ammon saw this, his heart was swollen within him with joy. For, said he, I will show forth my power unto these my fellow servants, or the power which is in me, in restoring these flocks unto the king, that I may win the hearts of these my fellow servants, that I may lead them to believe in my words. 
we should pause for a minute to review why Ammon might have been so confident. Before they started their mission, in Mosiah 28.7, the Lord had promised King Mosiah, I will deliver thy sons out of the hands of the Lamanites. And I've heard people say that God had promised to protect Ammon if he were righteous, but that's not actually what God said. Alma 19.23 gives us a little more detail. Now we see that Ammon could not be slain, for the Lord had said unto Mosiah, his father, I will spare him, and it shall be according to thy faith. Therefore Mosiah trusted him unto the Lord. So God promised Ammon that he would be protected not according to his own faith, but the faith of his dad. So when Ammon realized that he was going to have to deal with a large group of Lamanites, the thought that went through his mind was, it's showtime. So he told the servants to gather up the flocks and bring them back to the watering hole. Verse 32, And it came to pass that they went in search of the flocks, and they did follow Ammon. And they rushed forth with much swiftness, and did head the flocks of the king, and did gather them together again to the place of water. And those men again stood to scatter the flocks of Ammon. But Ammon said unto his brethren, Encircle the flocks round about, that they flee not, and I go contend with these men who do scatter our flocks. You make a guy bulletproof, and that's what he does. We see this sometimes in superhero movies where the guy knows he's invincible, but the bad guys don't. Therefore, they did as Ammon commanded them. And he went forth and stood to contend with those who stood by the waters of Sebus. And they were in number not a few. Therefore, they did not fear Ammon, for they supposed that one of their men could slay him according to their pleasure. For they knew not that the Lord had promised Mosiah that he would deliver his sons out of their hands. Neither did they know anything concerning the Lord. Therefore they delighted in the destruction of their brethren, and for this cause they stood to scatter the flocks of the king. It's easy to think that Ammon might have been strong or intimidating. That's usually how he's shown in pictures and drawings. But the Lamanites saw him as an easy target. Also in Alma 26.12, Ammon tells us, As to my strength, I am weak. The first part of the battle was with slings. Ammon pulled out his sling and put it to work. Verse 36 says, Yea, with mighty power he did sling stones amongst them. And thus he slew a certain number of them, insomuch that they began to be astonished at his power. The Lamanites tried to hit him with stones of their own, but they couldn't. Therefore, seeing that they could not hit him with their stones, they came forth with clubs to slay him. If you believe the Arnold Freeberg painting or some of the animated videos, the Lamanites ran toward him in single file holding their clubs up, but verse 37 basically says that when they swung their clubs at him, he blocked their arms with his sword, which cut their arm off. So the outcome was the same. It just bothers me when they when they line up the Lamanites like it's an assembly line and he's anyway. Here's verse 37. But behold Every man that lifted his club to smite Ammon, he smote off their arms with his sword, for he did withstand their blows by smiting their arms with the edge of his sword, insomuch that they began to be astonished and began to flee before him. Yea, and they were not few in number, and he caused them to flee by the strength of his arm. Now six of them had fallen by the sling, but he slew none, save it were their leader with his sword. And he smote off as many of their arms as were lifted against him, and they were 
not a few. Verse 39 says, He drove them afar off. Then his group brought the sheep to the water, and then they brought them from there to the king's pasture. And then the servants went in unto the king, bearing the arms which had been smitten off by Ammon's sword. And that's the end of chapter 17. Next time we'll talk about the aftermath of the Ammon show. But now it's time for our trivia question. This will be another bit of a spoiler. Ammon is going to teach Lamoni and his people, but there's a Lamanite living in Lamoni's household who had already been converted. What was her name? What was the name of Lamoni's servant who had already been converted? If you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to click that button. Give me a thumbs up. It helps the algorithm. And we will see you next time.